Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And today I am chatting to Martinus Evans. You might know Martinus as the handle online 300 pounds and running. And Martinus is such a lovely person for first and foremost. He really has a voice for podcasts. I think you're just going to really enjoy listening to his voice. But secondly, he has a really amazing story about how he got into running. And he has since written the book Slow AF Run Club, which is out this week. And this is all about kind of saying running is for everyone. Running is for people of all shapes and sizes. And you don't have to be fast to run. You don't have to continuously run for it to count. You know, he's challenging so many of these running myths and I just love it. We had such a great conversation. He's such an interesting guy and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get into that, we're going to do something a bit different today. I had a question come into the podcast and I thought this would be a great opportunity to answer it. Now, the question came in anonymously via our WhatsApp and this person says, Hello, love your show and all the amazing guests you speak to. My question is, how do I find a personal trainer that is anti-weight loss slash pro-trainer happy thinking? I live in London and Google is giving me nothing. Now, here's the thing. I think it is really tough to find people who are very explicitly anti-diet culture weight inclusive. And, you know, there's certain things you have to look out for. Now, Some people, and I think it's not so cool these days to explicitly be promoting diet culture. So I think before where there were very clear red flags, some of those are feeling less obvious these days. So things to look out for if you're just wanting to avoid a very diet culture messages are firstly, avoid before and after photos. Um, especially when one body's bigger than the other and we're celebrating the smaller body, red flag. Um, The second thing is to just look out for language. I think with personal trainers, now every personal trainer is different, but check their qualifications. We're not qualified to give loads of detailed nutrition plans. We can give nutritional guidance and advice, but it has to be pretty general. So for those giving out, you know, workout plans, meal plans for fat loss and all the rest of it, unless they're working with a registered nutritionist or a dietitian, be wary of that because that is out of a personal trainer's scope of practice. So be wary of that. Second, I think thirdly, the main thing is like how, what language do they use around movement? How are they describing movement? And are they assuming goals? You know, are they assuming that you want to be leaner, more toned, you know, using words like burning and sculpting and defining, all of these words that are kind of synonymous with a smaller, leaner body. Just be wary of the language used. Now, green flags are when personal trainers showcase clients of all shapes and sizes. There's no before and after photos. They are celebrating the wins of their client's performance rather than what their you know, what their measurements may be or their, you know, what their number on the scale may be or anything like that. Um, Those are green flags. Now, those green flags are hard to find because I do this a lot for people who work with me one-to-one on their relationship with movement. I then try and find them classes and trainers and things like that that feel like a safe environment. And I don't think it's hard to find something that's completely perfect. And so something I want to do, and this is, I will start a bit of a shout out for this. So something I want to do is to start to put together a bit of a database of trainers and classes in London, in the UK, internationally, that are um, inclusive, that don't promote diet culture, that are um, very clearly 
promoting a healthy relationship with movement they're not promoting diet culture and we're looking for those people so if you are those if you if you think I'm that person or I know someone who's that person please get in touch with me on Instagram you can get in touch with the at train happy podcast page you can get in touch with the at tally rye page you could also email me info tally rye at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you because I want to start collating these together because it is really hard to find people and I think it's helpful if they're all in one place and then like I said, when you are doing your own research, go on recommendations. The one thing I can say is it's it's hard necessarily to find personal trainers who are explicitly anti-diet culture in person, but virtually there's actually lots on offer. And go back and look at previous guests on this podcast. We've had several trainers who have virtual offerings that you can find. And the one couple of things I would shout out are Lucy Mountain and her app, the Knobs app, which is if you're wanting to, if you're a beginner to weight training and you want to train without any diet culture BS, then her app is amazing way to engage with movement in a diet culture free zone. Um, I can think there's a yoga teacher based in the UK called Lucy B Yoga who is doing uh, body positive, weight inclusive yoga classes. You have Becky from Misfits, who's been a guest on this podcast, who is teaching dance workouts. And if you're based in Essex, has even has her own gym set up um, that she's teaching class in during summer. And I can think of um, Ashley at Boom Cycle teaching spin classes that are really celebrating body image she does the big babe energy rides and does free community classes as well to make things more accessible so they're just a few people I can recommend but it is hard to find people so ask questions go in there be savvy um and then my final point on this would be don't stress if you feel like you haven't found the perfect person sometimes in order for us to kind of shift the needle within the fitness industry we have to give feedback we have to say like I really like to work with you but I need to set boundaries I don't want to talk about weight I don't want to talk about inches I don't want to take progress photos I just want to focus on moving my body learning new skills and having fun in the process and I think that can be a great way to engage with personal trainers get them thinking in a new way maybe and you know finding someone in person that works for you so I hope that was that wasn't my quickest answer but I hope that was helpful if you have any more questions for me that you'd like me to answer on the podcast or you have a train happy moment you want to share then get in touch with us on our whatsapp you can message us or send us a voice note to 75 okay enough from me i've spoken enough in this intro today let's get into this week's episode with martinus evans Well, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time, Martinus. Um, I have followed you for a while. I think what you're doing is awesome. And I think that especially having a guy in this space, really challenging the perceptions of what running looks like, of what kind of a fitness person looks like is amazing. Um, Firstly, thank you for what you're doing. And secondly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon to whoever you are in the world. My name is Martinez Evans. My handle is 300 pounds and running on Instagram and Facebook. Before that even existed, I'd love to hear more about your history with movement and running. I know you played football. Is that right? I started this journey back in 2012. Um, I was working at a a department store. It's called Men's Warehouse, right? I was on my feet eight to 12 hours a day. I started to have some hip pain. I seen a doctor about that hip pain. He told me I need to lose weight or die. We had a large argument and I told him I was going to run a marathon. And he laughed at me and told me that was the most stupidest thing he has heard in all his years of practicing medicine. So I left and I bought some running shoes. And I've been running ever since. This journey has been lasting about 10 years now. Um, I also am the founder of the Slow F Run Club, which is a community that has about 10,000 members worldwide. And our goal is to get people to um, start running in the body that they have right now. 
our overall mission is to get 1 million people to start running in the body that they have right now. And I also am the author of an amazing book that's coming out June 6th called Slow Yuff Run Club, The Ultimate Guide for Anybody Who Wants to Run. So you've just done a few things then, then Martinus. You've just, uh, you've not been busy <laughs> at all. No, you know, just, you know, just a few things here and there. But prior to that, you've done sport, you played football. What was it like to go from that to then to start running that all that time ago as a bit of an F you to the, your doctor? Uh, it was weird because football was like when you think about running for football, it's, it's a punishment. Mm. You know, it, it's it's one of those things of like, oh, you you messed the play, like go run, go run the field three or four times. Right. Whereas like now, like running is just like this thing that has brought me joy. And I actually I, I actually enjoy it. And I get sad when I don't do it. So in high school, obviously you're playing sports and you're right it's interesting how coaches and things can really influence your perception of what exercise is and how it impacts what how you view things like running like you say I imagine running during football practice was probably a punishment you know you know the movie like Coach Carter and he always is really into like suicides isn't he and like (laughs) he's really into that and so I'm envisioning some sort of coach telling people to run suicides essentially um where you run side to side to side to side and like that doesn't set you up for a really fun and joyful positive relationship with exercise in adulthood was that your experience yes absolutely uh suicides uh we had this thing called one 110s or 120s where you start on one side of the field and then run 120 yards turn around and do that over again um yeah, just running was as a punishment or, you know, it was just one of those things where just running was just the punishment. And then the other thing that I, I find funny, when I was younger, I wanted to play Little League football, right? And I could not make the weight. So one of the things that they did is that they would give us a garbage bag and tell these kids who didn't make the weight to, like, run around the field in this garbage bag. As people point and yell at you and call you garbage kid. And how old are you at that point? 10, 11. You're such a child. You're a baby. I mean, subjecting any kid to that at 10 or 11 to kind of A, be told your body's not right for this. And B, you have to kind of wear a bin bag as if you're Rocky. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just not nice. It's just not. I, I don't, I hope that doesn't happen today. I don't know. I, I feel like that wouldn't fly today. I don't know about you. Yeah, I would hope that doesn't happen. But, you yeah. know, with, with all the legislation that's going on here in the States, I, I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it was happening. Yes, that that is kind of the tip of the iceberg, isn't it, in terms of everything else. Therefore, going into adulthood, were you, you know, like, like young 20s and stuff. Were you interested in movement at all? Like, was there anything on your radar? Did you just feel like there was sport and then things like running were punishment? Like, I didn't enjoy it. It was the thing you had had to do. It was a bit of a chore. And so did that kind of put you off things growing up as well? Yeah, um, I want to say put me off, but I, I would say that during that time where I stopped playing football, just physical activity was for the method of intentional weight loss, right? Yeah. You know, it wasn't for joy. It wasn't for, you know, all, any of the benefits. It was for intentional weight loss and aesthetics. Mm, same, to be fair. I think that is the overarching message. I work with so many people on their relationship with exercise. And we talk about it so much on this podcast and it all comes back to, and I think people especially, like they say as a kid, you know, and maybe you experienced this that bit younger at kind of age 10 or 11 because they that was a method of intentional weight loss, wasn't it? Running mm-hmm. in a bin bag for intentional weight loss at that age. It's just way too early to even be thinking about that. Um, and I think even as an adult, it's pretty, pretty toxic. But you're right, that is that is the messaging, isn't it? It's like there's sport, but then there's like, if, if you're, which is different from exercise. And I use right. kind of air quotes for that because exercise is linked to dieting restriction and it's the thing you do because you have to do it to lose the weight. Yes. And then you have sport, which is performance, being a gladiator and competing against somebody else. Right. And I I think sometimes exercise can play a role of that. You know, sometimes they they guys um, in sport 
weight loss or weight gain as like a competitive advantage, right? Mm. So I remember being, for example, a certain weight in high school football, right? And starting to play in college. And the coach was like, you need to eat everything that's not voted down because we need you to gain more weight, right? So you have that versus like who I was in high school. And I remember like trying to lean up so I can be attractive to the ladies and then like go to college and the coach was like, nope, too small. You need to get bigger. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it? How, especially in sport, and I think college sports in the US is like a whole different culture to anything we have here. It's, it feels really high stakes sporting environment. This is what I'm understanding as a foreigner on the other side of the pond. But to think that even at that age, just going like, okay, right, we need you to put on weight, we need you to do this. And your body is almost like a commodity first in that sense. And then you're a person second to that. Did it feel like that? Absolutely. That's the thing about sport. Like your body is a commodity, right? Especially when it comes to collegiate sports. And we recently had some legislation change here in, in the United States where individuals are able to like get paid, right? We have this thing called like NIL, which is like name, image, and likeness. But when I play collegiate sports, it's against like certain rules to get paid or like take money from people. So you're pretty much getting exploited yes. under the guise of uh, a college education. And I'm using air quotes here, like a college education. So it's under the guise of like, you know, we're giving you a college education, but these schools are making millions of dollars off of off a of sport just from the entertainment of it. So you're mm-hmm. putting your body on the line and you're only getting a, a college education. Meanwhile, these coaches are getting like paid millions upon millions of dollars. You know, staff is getting paid millions upon millions of dollars. And none of that is being uh, kicked back to the students. Only it's in not the a form fair of, exchange. Yeah, only in the form of a college education. <laughs> right. And who's to say, you know, in this day and age, um, a college education is really worth anything, right? Especially with the Googles, the Facebooks and things of that sort. Like if you're self-taught, if you self-taught, like taught yourself code and things of that sort, like you're still likely to get a job at these places versus if you went through the whole uh, computer science route in, in school, because a lot of these places are valuing people who have like experience and at home experience versus somebody who has like all those book smart but does not have a lot of practice. So uh, you're right. So putting yourself through all of that, all of that kind of physical side and the sports side. And, you know, I've I've seen how big those sort of stadiums are where you play. Like they're they're fitting thousands, tens of thousands of people. Yeah, you're right. I I agree with you. I think it is extremely exploitative. And then so post-college, I presume you stopped playing football and then there was a, period maybe when kind of figuring out what you actually liked because I imagine like there's football and then there's kind of life outside of it and you have to kind of acclimatize to what everyone else is doing yes so there's a life as an athlete and then there's life as a GDI as we used to call people which stands for a goddamn individual so like it's (laughs) it's it's life as an athlete or life as like a sorority or uh, a fraternity Greek person like you got those lives and you got life as just, just as an individual so I ended up playing football for about a year and a half. I ended up leaving that school um, um, and, and transferring to a whole different school. And I, I would say it was, it was a huge shock, right? My habits of what I needed to do inside of like playing for this sport was still there, mm. right? So a lot of eating, a lot of distorted eating, a lot of um, stuff that just comes along with, you know, being told to eat everything and eat as much of it to gain weight for this sport. And you're no longer doing that, but you still have like these habits subconsciously because it's been embedded in you. Yeah. Cause there's no teaching on how to listen to your body and and trust your body and, and any of those sort of like intuitive eating skills. There's none of that. Cause you're right. It's being overridden to be like, coach needs these results. I've got to step up. And then understandably, you that's a habit that forms and i also want to say like the same is true for like other sports right when it comes to like cross country or track athletes right i think it's in the other end where i think about i don't know if you know mary kane right she like she was like one of the best 
track athletes breaking all types of records and then go under this certain coaching system where only thing that they were focusing on was like her weight. And it was an arbitrary number of saying, hey, if you want to be the best you want to be, you need to get down to this certain weight. So it can go either way. It's really about, you know, what they think is best for that sport mm. and how they can use that your body as a commodity. Yeah. And for people listening, she did a bit of an expose article on yeah. that, I believe, didn't she? Like an interview kind of yeah. coming out saying, actually, my experience was horrible. I had extremely disordered relationship with food and exercise in my body. I uh, lost my period and all the rest of it and um, ended up stepping back from that sport because for similar reasons in the sense of like, it's too much. So life is an individual, right? Um, you still have those habits. Old habits die hard, especially when you celebrate it for it, right? Um, so throughout, throughout that experience where I transferred to a different school, um, I still have these ha- habits. Um, but then I started to go into like disordered eating as well as like trying to like do intentional weight loss. So anything that I did as far as like exercise was not joyful. It was on the guise of intentional weight loss. So much so, Tally, that I got a degree in exercise science. I did not get that degree in exercise science because I loved exercise science. I got that degree because I thought to myself, if I'm able to learn all the ins and outs of this, then maybe, then finally, I can use it on myself to then be the weight that uh, people expected me to be. I think how many people work in the fitness and nutrition space and went to school for it and they thought if I can just learn and I think especially you hear about it with people who go and do like a dietetics degree or something and they come out of it and go like if I'm gonna learn everything about this because then then I'll, then I'll find the answer I imagine you were not alone in your thinking on your course uh yeah so like that was one of the things right so we continue to go through this journey right I end up graduating I end up uh, when it was all said and done, I ended up found myself working at Men's Warehouse, right? I, I think that was one of the things where I was still celebrated as being a big guy. So, like, I'm wearing suits every day. And, you know, we worked in the area where a lot of, like, professional athletes worked that they would come in, they would see me in a suit. And, you know, say you have somebody who's in a smaller frame, like, who's their turn to, like, work with somebody? They'd be like, no, 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 no. I want him. Like, I want the big guy in the suit. Like, if you can make this fat man in the suit look good, then um, y'all can make me look good. So then there was another way of, like, my body being commoditized Mm. in, in a sort of a way where individuals will come and be like, I see you. This is what I want. I want the same thing you got. And if you can do that, like teach me the way so that I can do it as well. It is interesting. Like you say that there's this constant in different roles in your life, there's been uh, like, okay, what does the body do? What does the body do? Rather than who's Martinus? And isn't he a great guy? And, you know, I'm interested in him. Yeah. People didn't care. (laughs) They do now though. That's what I love. They do now. Yeah. And so from that, you, that time, I understand you started developing hip pain and Mm -hmm. that's what took you to the doctors initially. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like I was on my feet eight to 10 hours a day working commission sales, right? So you're on your feet, you're hustling, being in hard bottom dress shoes on concrete floor, theoretically concrete floor, right? Like it's carpet on top of concrete, right? That was just not good for my body, right? And I ended up developing some some hip issues because of that. So I went to go see a doctor. He sent me to an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, I'm sitting in this doctor's office and I'm trying to figure out like what's going on. So I'm telling them like, hey, I was a, a athlete. Now I work at Men's Warehouse. I'm on my feet trying to figure out what's going on with my hip. And he's like, okay, okay. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, well, I know why you, why you in pain. I said, okay, what's that? And he's like, well, it's because you're fat and you need to lose weight or die. And I remember being like, well, what that has to do with my hip? We all going to die. <laughs> and like, that's one of the things I said to myself, like, we're all going to die one day. But like, what, what that got to do with my hip right now? And then like, he starts going on this whole thing. Like, you know, you got stomach as a pregnant woman. You, you know, you need to start walking. You need to go on the track and start walking and buy walking shoes and all this other stuff. And I remember just getting fed up and being like, you know, screw this. Screw you. If I wanted to run a marathon, I, I, you know, like I'll run a marathon. And he laughs at me and tells me, like, this is the most dumbest thing 
he has heard ever heard in all of his years of practicing medicine. So I'm furious. Like mm. I, I want to put hands on him. <laughs> I, I want to put hands on this man, but I know that's not generally accepted. <laughs> so, you know, I stormed out the doctor's office and I buy these shoes. Right. And I get on, I get home, I get on the treadmill and I'm inconveniently sandwiched between like two gazelles, as I like to call them. Like one guy was going 10 on the treadmill. The other guy was going nine on the treadmill. And I remember thinking to myself, if they're going that fast, I can at least go seven. Big mistake. 15 seconds later, Tally, when my body hit that moving treadmill belt, because I fell off the treadmill, it made the loudest noise throughout the whole fitness center and all eyes on me. I was mortified. So I instantly grabbed all my things and get the hell up out of there. I looked back at the treadmill and it said 15 seconds. That was my first run. 15 seconds is a run though. As, <laughs> right? It is a run. <laughs> and I know what you say, I imagine that's like a really loaded experience for you because you've gone there having probably not done as much activity. So you're going there already feeling like, okay, how's my fitness levels? I don't know. We're going to see. Mm. And you go in there in a, as a bigger guy. Must have been hard feeling like, all the stereotypes that you think these people may be assuming, which I think as your whole career has proven is not necessarily true at all. But I imagine that that must have felt like quite a loaded moment. Absolutely. (laughs) I had tears in my eyes. I thought the doctor was right. There was a lot going on in that experience. However, there there was one thing that, that grounded me throughout this experience. And it was that I have this tattoo on my right wrist. And as I was going home, I reached out to the doorknob and turned the doorknob and I see my tattoo and it says no struggle, no progress. And this is a a speech from Frederick Douglass, his famous 1857 speech. And it goes something like, you know, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. You know, men who favor freedom yet deprecate agitation is men who want uh, crops without plowing the land. It's men who want the, the the rain without thunder and lightning. It's men who want the ocean without its roars, right? And he goes on in a speech that says, you know, the struggle may be a physical one. It may be a moral one. It may be even be a mental one, but it has to be a struggle in order to get some type of progress because that's how power works. So that speech for me has always been a calling point of, okay, I need to get to work. So what did I do? The next day I got back on the treadmill and I ran a little bit further. In the same gym? Yes, in the same gym. That's Um, huge going back there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Tally. I went at like 5 (laughs) a.m. But you know what? For you, even just mentally, even going back inside the building, Mm-hmm. Even if there's no one else there, you know, I think that's, that must've been like, that's a huge thing to kind of face that for yourself. Absolutely. And I think for the people who are listening, that's, that's really the story, right? Is facing these fears. A lot of people, we experience one bad thing and it's like, nope, I'm never do that again. Not feeling that feeling again. Don't want to feel that I'm not doing it. Nope. But it's typically those things that we all need to do in order to get us to the next level. You know, it's the same thing where we tell kids when they fall off a bike or they fall for the first time when they walk in. It's like, it's okay. Go ahead and cry, but let's get back up. Let's try it again. And I think once we become adults, we we tend to forget about that. We, we tend to um, let our emotions drive us a little bit more then if we were kids and people were like, okay, get back up. You're going to get back on that bike. No, no, no. You're not going home until you get back on this bike. And it's the same thing when it came to running. I'm like, okay, I fell off the treadmill. It's okay. Only thing hurt is my little pride. That's okay. I can build that back up, but I got to go back in it. I got to go back there. I got to go back where the thing that like, um, that hurted me or like mentally hurting me. Right. So that's what I did. It took me about 18 months 
from when I met the doctor till when I ran my first marathon. What was that experience like? I would say the first half of the marathon was pretty smooth. It's, it's everything that I expected it to be. During training for this marathon, the furthest that I ever ran, I think was around 20 to 22 miles. I can't remember exactly, but I know it was around that mount. And I remember being at the starting line and being like, I don't know what happens after 20 miles or 22 miles. I don't know. And it's 26, isn't it? Yes, 26.2 miles or 42K, right? So I remember being like, I don't know what happens. And I, I continue to run the marathon, and somewhere around the second half of the race, I started to get heckled by um, like one of the rich volunteers, right? And there's something I write about in the book. It's a story that's called, like, Don't Get on the Bus, right? And it's about how I was running, and this individual in this, this bus that's supposed to help pick up people who are, like, injured or uh, can no longer run in that race anymore was a driving alongside of me, you know, and like trying to get me to get in the bus so that my race can be over with. And, you know, he's like, hey, big man, like you want to get on a ride? You're like, you want to get a ride to the finish line, right? And while all of that's going on, I'm also having this internal battle in my own head. You know, think of, you know, a cartoon angel and devil on each shoulder. And um, one of them are telling you, hey, like you're in pain, get on this bus quit and another one is telling you no you got to make it to the finish line because you know what you came here to do so you're going through all of this internal strife and you got this external strife as well and eventually i i finished the race right i end up i want to say blowing up on this guy but like having this conversation where where i tell him to like leave me alone because he's coming mile at the mile and he was like you know i can't help that you fat and slow. I'm just trying to help you out. As, as much as like, you know, I wanted to say like I had an amazing experience and I did like that. That is definitely a sour point uh, of like one of my race experiences, especially for my first race. And I think what it is, is for me is a, a metaphor for life is that in everything that you do, anything that you're striving for, it's going to be you versus your mind versus everybody else. And that's literally what it is. You're going to have your own battle. And then, like, you're also going to have to have a battle of, like, the people who are external of you, who are also have, like, their own thoughts and opinions of you as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's so many assumptions that come with being a runner in a bigger body. And I'd love to talk about some of those assumptions, some of those experiences you've had, because I think there'll be a lot of people listening who really resonate with them. Oh, good for you. You know, good for you. This is your first race. And I'm like, actually, no, it's not. <laughs> what? It's your second race? Nope. <laughs> not at all. Third? Nope. Keep going. So the look on people's face when I nonchalantly tell them, oh, I've ran hundreds of races and about eight marathons. It's like complete, utter shock because they're doing the math in their head and like it's like cannot compute because what they had in their head versus what's actually true is something that that they just can't compute. So that's always the first one. A second one is always like people 
generally like, hey, like how much weight have you lost? Like, what's where where are you at in your weight loss journey? Even when I tell people, yo, this isn't a weight loss journey, people still ask, well, you still have to track, right? Like, I know it's not a weight loss journey, but you got to be tracking. Like, how much weight have you lost? And I had to tell them, like, yo, this is really <laughs> not a weight loss journey. I don't track my weight. And then they're like, well, like, well, can you guesstimate? Like, like, really? Like, how much? And that's the thing is that people are so fascinated on the numbers. They're just so fascinated about the numbers because, like, that's the only thing that they can validate the thing that I'm doing. Like, well, you got to be losing weight then. If you're not losing weight, then, like, why why even doing it? Or, is, you know, if you're not losing weight, then, like, your nutrition must be atrocious. Like, you got to be. You can't outrun a bad diet. Yeah. As people love to say, I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard that one. Absolutely. And I'm like, well, I actually work with a nutritionist. So what else do you got? Because you're right. Well, you know what we are talking about before when you say growing up, you learned that running was for weight loss and mm. that, yeah, the assumptions that if you're in a bigger body, then you have all these assumptions about what that means about how you eat and all of those things. And actually, you're right, people as adults, therefore, then they grow up with all of those assumptions and cannot compute that people can be fit, healthy, be in a bigger body, do all the things that we're kind of told you can't do in those bodies. And I think like, and that's, you know, it's so, there's so much fear mongering, isn't there? around like, well, if you get to this weight, then you won't be able to do X, Y, Z. And when you're the person doing X, Y, Z, you know, you see that meme of like all the like equations going around, you know, <laughs> and like, whoa, I can't compute because you're not meant to be doing this. And right. for social media, yourself and there are uh, a lot of others really challenging those perceptions and it's so important not only for you and not only for other people but I think for people who are in bigger bodies to also go like oh like all these limits that have been put on me by other people maybe I don't have to put them on myself maybe I can go and try things and I don't have to make weight the focus either yeah and I think that's the thing is that my my overall like opinion about exercise or just physical activity is that everyone should be doing it full stop. You know, physical, regular physical activity have so many other benefits than weight loss that why are we just like focusing on like that one particular thing? And knowing that I have like this educational background and you know, individuals like, well, if you lose weight, like your 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 blood panels would get better, your A1Cs and all this other stuff. And it's it's a person like me that comes in and say, well, you know what also does those things? <laughs> a regular physical activity. <laughs> right? So it's one of those things where it's a chicken or an egg. You know, people are like, well, by exercising, you lose weight, then the weight loss is the thing that help improves all of these things. Well, my thing is, is like, is it really the weight loss or is it the regular physical activity that comes along with it? I think I totally agree with you. I say all the time, we give weight loss and we give weight in general way too much credit when actually thinking about all the behaviors, maybe you've been more active than you've ever been. Maybe you have started incorporating more vegetables and fiber into your diet and maybe more protein and things like that. Maybe you start get, getting better sleep. You've reduced stress in your life in other ways. There's so many factors and we give this kind of, this number on the scale, all the credit as to why things may have improved when actually we, there's a lot more evidence, a lot more right. evidence that, all those other things can have a much greater impact and should be given much more credit into improving your overall health and well-being. And also, which I'm sure you know as well, there's also things that are outside of our control in, that include genetics. When it all comes, when it's all said and done, none of that shit is joyful. <laughs> like, none of that stuff was fun. I remember being like when I started this weight, like when I had my weight loss journey, right. When I was on this thing on intentional weight loss, me, I had this thing called weigh in Wednesday. Every Wednesday I would get on a scale and blog about it. Right. And, and talk about 
all the things that happened that week. And being mad at myself when the scale went in the opposite direction that I wanted to go. And it's like, oh, I suck. I'm not doing good enough. I need to exercise more. I need to eat less. I need to do all these other things. But when it's all said and done, like, that is not fun. That is not mm. joyful. And as somebody who has lost a bunch of weight, gained it back, lost it again, you know, one of the things that I, I tell people is that, like, losing 100 pounds don't, don't make you 100 pounds happier. <laughs> those things that you that you go through or that you was going through that you could ha- hide behind your fat body of and that you know you can just think of like well if i were to just lose this weight i'll be happy because of x y and z coming for somebody who's lost weight gained weight and lost it again and gained it back that shit don't change actually it gets worse because now you don't have a fat body to hide behind <laughs> right like imagine somebody being like uh like, I like the fat Martinez better. Like this, this skinny version of Martinez, he's an asshole. Don't like his ass, right? Like there's gonna always going to be people who are going to talk about you and going to judge you regardless if you do this thing, lose the weight, uh, keep it off or gain it back because mm-hmm. like you've already been hit with the scarlet letter of whatever they have in their mind about you is already there. Yeah. So for some yeah. people, like I've always be will be fat Marty growing up and um, not doing anything, even though I've ran all of these races, ran all this stuff. But for some people, they just, they just don't care. And I think that's the same thing that if we just took the mentality of like, we need to do this to make ourselves happy. We need to do this so that we all have fun and it's joyful and we need to do it for longevity. You know, that's the thing that we all really need to think about, right? The thing that I always think about the the most is, you know, like one of the deciding factors of how they decide if somebody goes to a nursing home or not, and that is if they can if they can get themselves on and off the toilet, right? So once somebody can't get themselves on and off the toilet, they then goes to a nursing home, especially when you're an older individual. So, like, that's something that I'm always thinking about. You can get yourself on and off the toilet regardless of whatever your weight. It's just more of less, do you have the strength to do the thing that you need to do? There's a lot of um, power to be set to saying slow AF as well. Because I'm, like, you know, in the running world of what I see, and I say this as a not a, not a particularly a runner at all, but there's a lot of what time did you get this in? And what's your pace on this? And here's my split times of this. This is what I'm seeing. Right. And so to have something and build a community that says, I don't care about your time. I don't care about your pace. Like, that's fine with me. Like, the main thing is you're having fun. You're giving it a go. And that if you want to cross the line, we help you get across the line. That's also quite revolutionary in running, isn't it? To say like, slow is cool. And going at your pace is cool. Yes. So here's the thing, Tally. As I was going through this whole journey of running, there has been multiple times where, you know, people are always like, are you getting faster? Are you trying to get faster? And I've been a part of a whole bunch of uh, Facebook groups that were the same, right? Where it's supposed to be for slow runners, supposed to be for the people in the back of the pack, but everybody's trying to get faster so they no longer in the back. And my thing is this. My money is still green <laughs> to all of these races, right? Like my money still spend the same, regardless if I'm in the back of the pack or in the front of the pack. It's just one of those things that I want people to know. Like it, it should be equality all the way around. Mm. If I paid my money for this race, I should be able to have the same experience that somebody else had, regardless if they run faster than me. And also, they have certain marathons have things where they if you're under a certain pace, they don't let you finish. Is that, am I correct in that? Yes. Some races have like pace limits or like course cutoffs, right? And if you fall behind a course cutoff, there could be a lot of things that may happen. Um, You could continue to run the race, but you won't have support. You could, they could tell you, oh, it'll be fine. And you think it's fine and, and nothing's there to help support you. So there's a lot of things that can happen if you fall behind like this course cutoff. But one of the things that I, I try to urge race directors or the people mm-hmm. who run these races are 
you know, how can you get creative so that everyone has an equitable experience? Yeah. Everyone's able to finish the race, you know, and that could be a multitude of ways. That could be, you know, letting them, them people start earlier. It can mean extending the course limits. It can mean multiple things, but one of the things I just let people know, or one of the things I just try to get people to to do is get creative so that everybody can get it. Because what they're doing now, and I think it's frustrating, it's like, they're like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm working with municipalities and, you know, they, they told me this and running the races is so expensive and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And it's, what was me? And my thing is like, so what? Get creative. Get creative or don't take my money. Yeah, I agree. I think that running should be for everyone. And if you want more people to run, I think there needs to not be that fear that you're not going to get to complete the race or that you have to reach these times. That It should be more fair and accessible yeah. for people in that sense. So I also love that you speak about the idea that there's this idea in running as well that means that it is kind of all or nothing that you're either completely running and you're setting out to run a distance run a time run a pace and there's no breaks and there's no rests and there's none of that um or we kind of think it doesn't count and it's not a real run and I speak to so many people who think that okay if I go out for a run and I stop or walk for a bit of it or do that then I failed then it doesn't count then it's not that but once again you're really working to challenge that myth because it is a myth. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. This is one of the things that I experienced with a lot of people that I coach was that, oh, you know, Martinez, I run and then I get tired and then I start walking and I feel like a failure. And one of the things that I noticed was that it's because the training plans didn't give them the option to walk. So my thing was, well, what if I gave you the option to walk? What if I actually just put it inside the plan? Mm. Would you feel bad about yourself then? Or would you feel good about yourself because you're following the plan? They would feel good about themselves because they're following the plan. Because most of us are taught to, like, follow the rules. To say, you know, if this is what the papers say do, we do it. Then we give ourselves brownie points or a pack on, pat on the shoulder because we did it. So I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily understand that all of this can be broken. All of the rules can be broken. And one of the things that I just try to get people to do is empower themselves to know that if something don't work out, it's okay. Figure out, like, you can do something that works for you. And I think inside of my book, this is something that I'm constantly trying to remind them. It's like, hey, take this with a grain of salt. If this don't work, it's cool. It's okay. Like, let's try to find something else that will work. And I think that's one of the things that's in fitness or in diet culture, because that's how they blame people and get people in this loop of constantly feeling bad about themselves. And that's when diet culture is there to be like, oh, that didn't work for you? Well, here's something else that you can pay hundreds of dollars for that we, we guarantee it works. And then you go through the whole cycle all over again. Oh, there's always a solution to the problem and it always costs money. <laughs> that's the way I see it. Um, yeah, diet culture loves pitching that solution. Yes. And you're right. I think there's so much, and this is something I do a lot of work with, with intuitive movement is empowering people to listen to their bodies, to take that rest, to break those rules, because that's a really important part of having a healthy, sustainable relationship with movement. And I love that in your plan, you're encouraging people to listen to their bodies and take the rest, walk if they need to. Like that's, I think it's really important that more people, even in the context of more structured programs, normalize listening to your body normalize taking that different levels of um energy i always talk about like a zero the kind of effort level within movement being like zero to ten and so traditionally we always think and i think even as runners and but in any sort of fitness you always feel like you should be going at like an eight nine ten otherwise right. you're, you're not giving enough effort and that the rest of that on the scale doesn't count but actually you need effort along that zero to 10 to then have so that you have the energy for your high intensity so that going forward you can continue to train you don't burn out after training for a marathon because you know how many people I mean this is another thing how many people train for a 10k a half marathon a marathon they push their bodies to the limits and then they do not do anything for six months yeah. I, I see it all the time and all I think the time. and I think it's because 
like you say, there's that the running, the structure for run training for running, especially can be really intense. Um, it's a lot of time to give up, isn't it? Um, especially those long runs towards the end of training. And if you're giving space within that to work it out at your own pace, like that's going to help people to keep running going forward. Empowering people to figure out how things work for themselves means that you can't sell them something else. My goal is to empower somebody and to get them to figure out how to trust their own gut to get to their goal. And like, let me just be a conduit to help you figure out and provide you advice along the way, right? Like that's my goal as a coach. That's that's my goal of this book is to give people the tools and steps so they then can feel empowered to try something new. They do it and then they can reflect on, well, how did that feel? Do Can I do more of that? Do I need to do less of that? And really figure out how to really get in tune with their body. Because I think for a lot of us, we've lost how to really be in tune with our body. We're so disassociated with our own bodies and we're looking for somebody to tell us like what our body is supposed to do or how our body is supposed to feel versus us sitting back and taking a step back and being like, well, how do I feel? And how do my body feel? Or how does this workout feel? Or how does this run feel? To really think about, hmm, I really don't feel that good. Maybe I should pull back. And then pull back and be okay with that. Rather than saying, what's the heart rate saying on my watch? What's right. the, how many miles have I done? How many calories have I burned? How many, this, relying on these external things to validate how we feel. Actually turning it inwards and saying, how do I feel right now? And I think a lot of people don't do that. They rely that the more kind of technology that comes out, the less, the more disassociated they are from their bodies, as you say. One thing I did want to talk about as well before we wrap this up um, is your men's health interview. So you were interviewed for Men's Health and I really um, enjoyed reading your interview. And I think especially that we were talking about the body image component and you posed naked for the article, which I thought was incredible. But I would love to hear your thoughts on body image and male body image especially because you said in the article that you really struggled with when you were playing football at high school and college and stuff like taking your shirt off around others and things like that it it was really difficult so I just really love to hear your a bit about where you've come from and where you are now with body image I mean you, you pose naked for men's health so I'm thinking things have, have improved so when people tend to bring up the the notion of men's like body image for men and there's this big argument on whether or not it's there. Is this a, a, a true thing or yada, yada, yada. The thing that I always ask people is that name me a fat superhero. Name me a toy that's marketed towards boys that is fat, that doesn't have six-pack abs, eight-packs, all of these muscles. You can't. So, like, this is something that's that's there for men. And I think it's just brought up in a whole different way of, you know, by having these things, you are then more masculine than another man. And I think that's the thing that for most men, they're trying to achieve. And I think like that becomes the hard thing because I think it's just like men are suffering for like body suffering with body image in silence because historically men can't talk about these things because they didn't get teased, bullied or feel less than a man or get emasculated because of like wanting to be vulnerable about their bodies. So as a person like me, like, I don't care. Like people can call me whatever. They can call me a simp. They can call me a beta. Like none of that really, really matters to me because I got my family. They love me and, I, and I'm good to go. And I know I'm fully, I'm fully in aware of like who I am as a fully realized individual. For a lot of men and the messaging when it comes to men and body and body image, it, we have a long way to go. And in the States, there's a store called Target, right? They've they have plus size men, I mean plus size women clothes there. When you go look on the walls, they have banners of like plus size women uh models and things of that sort, like plastered around the store. 
However, when you go to the men's section, like they don't sell plus size men clothes inside the store. You got to go order it online. You don't see plus size men plastered on the walls like you see in the women's section. So that that is that's something that's telling me that for men, like it's a reason why these stores are doing that and really trying to understand like what is it about like men and like these messages that still continue to have when it comes to body image, clothing and so on and so forth that it has come a long way when it comes to like our, our, our women counterparts, but on the men's side, it's, it's still like almost not there. I think where the conversations have been a lot more vocal and the women have wanted to talk about this and I think have pushed a lot of the conversation and you're right I think with men that they're that the issues are very much there but they're not spoken about in the same way and that there are less people talking about it open and vocally and kind of pushing for the inclusivity and the representation in media because I think a lot of why companies have had to really think about their marketing who who they're including as you know in their marketing campaigns and that they're really making big efforts especially for women to be inclusive because I think women are really having these conversations and I think like you're right with men that there needs to be more said out in the open because you're right, the the demand is still there, but there's like no communicate, there's not as much communication going on because it's kind of like, oh, guys, like, oh, yeah, that, that's not for them. Um, and I actually, funny enough, I had this conversation with a previous guest as well who we had on very recently called Johnny. And, you know, we're saying like diet cultures feels like, especially when you think about diet culture and you think about anti-diet spaces, they're predominantly women and you think of it as a women's issue because men don't diet, men cut and bulk and men, you know, shred and lean for whatever, but they don't, it's not the same language. And so they can't relate, I don't think, to these <laughs> diet culture conversations because they're like, I don't diet. I'm trying to get jacked. I'm trying to look like my soup. I'm trying to look like the superhero that I saw when I was a kid. So they can't relate to like Weight Watchers and, you know, all of that stuff. But you're right that the issues around body image are still there. What's the difference between the diet and shredding? Well, it's the same thing, but it's the language. And the language choices are very particular, <laughs> don't you think? Even like our, in, in men, diet culture is very, um, is, is very masculine, right? Mm. Like get jacked. Yeah. Get buff. Shred. You know, but it's still the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's still exactly. diet culture. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is that as men, we need to be able to understand like w- what they are telling us and the marketing messages that they give us and be able to step back from it to to be like, oh, it's still. It's this it's still the same thing. Well, I love that you're doing your part and you're posing naked in men's health. And I think like men's health and women's health especially here in the UK and the US like are have been slower to kind of jump on the inclusivity bandwagon and so I really I think actually your article that you have with them was awesome and a big way to move the needle and I think that was really really important before we wrap up I have to ask you then as the running coach you are with tons of experience in your own running and coaching thousands of people. What are your top three tips for those listening who want to start running, want to start moving and don't feel like the fitness industry necessarily caters for them, but want to get going and just try something new? Yes. First tip, tip number one, you can do it. You can start running in the body that you have right now. It may look different from what you see on TV or what's marketed to you, but running is running. Forward is forward. The definition of run is to move faster than a walk. It has nothing to do with numbers. It has nothing to do with anything else. If a run is to move faster than a walk, and if you move faster than a walk, then guess what? You're now a runner. Ding, 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 ding. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, just start slow. One of the things that is not the sexiest, 
about like running is you you have to start slow and you have to methodically build up case by case. And with that being said, is that you're going to have a lot of voices in your head that's going to tell you you're not good enough or you shouldn't do this. One of the things that I've done to help combat with this is to give that voice in my head a persona. I name mine's Otis, right? So give that person a persona, give them a look, give them everything, because that way you're able to then have conversations with this persona and let this persona know that you're not here for their shit. And that what they're saying to you is not useful for the for the mission at hand. So to be able to do that, what what that what what happens is that we're able to then take those voices and not make it a part of ourselves to make it seem like, oh, we're the ones who are talking to ourselves and just make it where somebody else. So those are my three tips. I call mine Simon. And I say, Simon, fuck off. But you have to, because otherwise, like you say, it's not you talking. It's it's that, I say the diet culture voice. It's that voice. But you is actually a separate person. Right. And then tip number three. Have fun. I I started to walk around with a red hat that says make running fun again. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. But you got to have fun. You got to laugh. You got to have joy. And like the only way to do that is to have fun um, and not take yourself too seriously. I concur completely. So, Martinus, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what has been your most recent train happy moment? Oh, my most recent train happy moment um, actually was very recent. So I am um, caregiving for my mother. She recently just had a knee replacement and, you know, we, we have to do like certain knee exercises every day. And that's also include walking. So to be able to go along with this journey with my mom and, um, I encourage her along the way and kind of talk crap to her while (laughs) she's like walking in her walker, trying to get, trying to get moving has been the most funnest thing ever. I love that. And I think you're right. That's where it goes to show like movement can be so amazing because it helps people get back on their feet after things like that. And it's, you know, we think of it as like super intense stuff, but actually all those exercises you're doing with your mom are things that are really helping improve her quality of life, right? Yeah. You have to tell everyone where can they read your book, listen to your podcast, buy your merch, follow you online for such awesome motivation and yeah, just all your wisdom. Absolutely. So, y'all, I have a book coming out June 6th called uh, Slow F Run Club, The Ultimate Guide for Anybody Who Wants to Run. So if you want to hear more about my journey into running or want to learn about running in general, this is the book for you. Um, each chapter is laid out with a cautionary tale, so something that I went through in running. And then it actually has lessons and actual run coaching inside of there. And then also has like a workbook section as well. So Slow Your Front Club, the ultimate guide for anybody who wants to run. It should be available wherever books are sold, your local independent bookstore, Amazon. Um, They they should be there. If you want to know more about the Slow Your Front Club, you can go to slowafrunclub.com. Like I said, we have a community of 10,000 members worldwide. Join the club. Uh, We have an app on iOS and Android. So after you get done listening to this podcast, Go to your app store, type in Slow You Up Run Club, and um, download the app and join us. Want to learn more about me? You can find me at 300 Pounds and Running on Instagram and Facebook. That's 300, spell out Pounds and Running on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I also have a podcast called uh, 300 Pounds and Running Podcast, as well as the Long Run with Martinez and Latoya. And you can find that wherever podcasts are available. Amazing. There's so much to check out. You're doing so much great work. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Martinez. And I wish you all the best for the book launch. Everyone, make sure you go pre-order, get your copy, because I think it's going to be really important for the running community, especially. Thank you so much, Tally. But that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please do let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram 
at Train Happy Podcast. And we do want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want to hear your train happy moments. And we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week. So remember, you can get in touch with us via our WhatsApp. It is 07599927537. And whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on, please rate and review. It really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message. And that is it for this week. I'll be back with a brand new episode for you next Monday. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.